Welcome everyone to episode one of the Being Human cast. I'm Andy. And I'm Susie. So the plan for now is we're going to go through and discuss the first ever episode of uh, Being Human. And by that we don't mean the pilot. We would love to review the pilot. The problem is, is that even though I live in the UK, I never saw the pilot when it first aired. And for whatever reason, the BBC did not put the pilot on the DVD. So I've been unable to find the pilot to watch it anywhere. And uh, Susie's in the same position. So as neither of us have seen it, apart from a very short excerpt on YouTube which, to be frank, was really, really crap. Uh, apart from George, who was brilliant. Um, we, uh, George is always yeah. brilliant. <laughs> so we're just brushing straight over the pilot, unless, you know, and if at some point we figure out a way of viewing it, then um, great, we'll come back and we'll, we'll look at it again. So diving straight in, if we, we'll try and talk our way through the episode and uh, stop and discuss various bits as we go along. And you have to excuse the fact that we sound like the Being Ill cast, because uh, both Susie and I have, are sort of in various stages of being unwell. <laughs> so hopefully we won't start randomly coughing all the way through the podcast, but uh, fingers crossed. We're hopefully not. Hopefully not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so I mean, for me, I, I love the whole way that the, the first episode opens, that whole opening montage with... Um, with Annie talking, um, and you're seeing clips of you know Mitchell back, you know back in I guess it's uh, which war was it? First World War, Second World War, whichever one. It, First World War, I guess. Uh, First yeah. World War. Um, and uh, and then you obviously get the the other clips, the other uh, of the Arab characters as well. And I love the way that in the first couple of minutes you learn so much about the background of, of the different characters. I mean, I, I think it really nails. Annie's trauma you know, over the whole funeral and uh, Annie's difficulty accepting what she is and then offset that from you know, Mitchell's desire and complete failure to try and change you know, resulting in, in basically him turning Lauren and then George you know, clearly appalled by the, uh, the violence of being a werewolf and when you get all of that come across to you literally just hits you in the face in the first what two minutes I guess two three minutes of the programme yeah and I love the the whole tagline at the end about we find each other before the music starts. But um, what, one thing I would say, okay, about the episodes, what's going on with Mitchell on that TV? Because uh, throughout the whole show, you never really find out what the deal is with his TV. But you look, you know, the one thing you see Mitchell carrying into the house right at the beginning is his TV. When George kicks off and they have to grab um, anything they want of value from the house, Mitchell's sat outside of the step holding his TV. It's not as if it's um. I know. I thought it was a computer. Yeah, or... well, you can see the video player below it. It's so yeah. it's not as if it's even a DVD <laughs> player or a big you know, flat screen TV or something. It's well, apparently looks like a fairly cheap, um, small portable TV with a video player on it, and he just seems to. I just don't get why it is about that that uh, that TV. So there's got to be some history there about why he loves that TV so much. There has to be something because he's sitting out hugging it and holding on to it. Yeah, and he carries it so gingerly into the house when he comes in. <laughs> you know, you you all just wonder what, yeah, what sort of like link to reality does that? Yeah, I mean, maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's just me. <laughs> but every time I watch it, well, I think, is there 
Is there anything on uh, beinghuman.com that you found? I've not found, well, I haven't found anything specifically on his TV, I must admit. Um, but uh, maybe I just haven't looked hard enough. Maybe it's under Mitchell's story. It could be. I need to, uh, there's a lot, for those that are in the US that can't see it, on the BBC website there is a lot of video. There's a whole load of season two stuff behind the scenes bits and pieces and clips and trailers and there's a lot of it i mean there's probably a good few hours of uh, of video uh, and i have actually have, have tried to avoid watching it so far um so it could well be buried away in there if we can find a way for for susie to view it at the same time we'll try and watch some of that stuff over the uh, internet together i guess and then we can talk about it later in a later show yeah because they have they have Mitchell's prequel, so I bet you the TV story's <laughs> in there in Mitchell's prequel. Maybe. You never know. <laughs> so, okay, I, I guess, so you got the whole bit of Mitchell's TV, and then you go into the brilliant bit of Annie and the pizza guy. <laughs> and I, I just love the whole scene where she's talking to the guy about the pizza. <laughs> and that's followed straight on by the whole bit where she's making tea, and George just can't take the fact that she keeps him relentlessly making tea. And that's what I love about this show. You get the whole opening montage, which is really bleak and grey and you know, and, all, and black, really, and seeing the violence that's happened to these people and Annie's funeral and everything. And then it goes smack straight into a whole load of comedy. And uh, when George freaks out about the tea, it just sets up his whole character. <laughs> you, get a, you get a little bit of yeah. a taste about his character, what his character will be like, and he fits it. He certainly did. Because you think he's kind of neurotic. <laughs> Just a bit. And, uh, but in fairness, as you see in later episodes when the Matt Cups around the house, she makes a lot of tea. I mean, the, the woman is making tea full on, all the day and all night. Yeah, it's... I think from memory, after the whole pizza bit, we then go into um, Mitchell in the hospital, I think. And uh, I think that's the bit where Mitchell's looking at the uh, the TV monitors and sees the lift doors opening and closing and doors opening and shutting, but you can't see anyone on there. And Mitchell clearly recognises what that is. And and one thing's yep. interesting about that is that when you know when when Mitchell uh, goes and uh, and confronts him, you, know, you get the whole you start to see the struggle. You know Mitchell's inner suffering. And the guy's name's going run around my head right now. Oh, what's the vampire's name? The one that's in the hospital. Herrick's henchman. Oh gosh, I don't remember oh, the henchman's right name. I see already. We'll have to edit that in later. <laughs> um, I, I know Herrick's name. Yeah, no, I'm trying to think. Oh, what's his name? Okay, doesn't matter. Anyway, we all know the one we mean. So he's a henchman. He doesn't matter. Yeah. So there's the whole conflict in the in the the, um, the hospital room where um, they're, they're talking and stuff, and you can really see the fact that Mitchell's struggling to basically stay off the wagon. You know. Uh, trying to resist his um, his uh, natural vampiric side, isn't it? And, and then that obviously then moves on into when we meet Becca for the first time. Who I must admit, when I first saw the show, I really thought Becca was being set up to be a long-term character. Oh, I know. Like, especially because George likes her so much. I mean, I really thought we were going to get this whole Mitchell-George love triangle dynamic thing going on with Becca. As we all discuss in a bit, we were wrong. Quite seriously wrong with that. But Mitchell felt bad about turning her. Yeah. Well, Lauren, he felt bad about turning Lauren, didn't he? I mean, about Laura. He felt yeah. bad about turning Laura. But the whole bit with Becca surprised me because I sort of, you saw him at the beginning with him turning Lauren and he sort of assumed that Lauren's going to turn up later on. Becca 
So do you think it really could have been a love triangle um, between them three? Mitchell didn't really seem interested. He did, but he didn't. She seemed more interested in him. Well, yeah, but I think that's the, that would have been the interesting bit about it because you'd have George chasing Becca, Becca chasing Mitchell, and Mitchell trying to be a friend to George, but then also having to try and resist basically his call on nature to you know, have his way and have his way, you know? Um, Oh, uh, yeah, like what he did with Laura. Yeah. Okay. I was getting the two names mixed up. I know them as the blonde and the brunette. Yeah, so you got Lauren, obviously, the one that um, um, got uh, you got killed right at the start uh, and then chose it later on. And then you got Becca, who um, we sort of see later on. Then, obviously, you get the whole... You know, the, the program moves on. And you get one of my favourite bits. You get the whole bit where George knows he's going to change and he goes off to the basement and discovers there's workmen there. So him and Mitchell head out to the woods, and you get that phenomenal bit where George is ready for the woods. I've never known a set of woods in the UK have so many people in it. <laughs> I was about to ask you about that. It looked like one of the parks over here in America, all these people around everywhere. <laughs> well, I must admit, I, I haven't spent a lot of time in the country park near where I live at night, you know. Um, <laughs> but... I just wouldn't imagine it would be that full of people. Over here, not many people go to the parks at night. Well, yeah, that's the same thing. It's like you want the sort of place where you, you go if you want someone to, like, you know, do you in. So <laughs> you, know, you want to be hanging around some dark park at night. And whereas there's so many people there, and poor George, I mean, yeah, he just thinks he finds a quiet space with no one around, starts taking a jacket off, and spots the couple on the ground. And, <laughs> and he screams. And he's so apologetic. <laughs> I like it when yeah. he starts screaming. I, I guess, <laughs> Screams like a little girl. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Mitchell's just about to leave, isn't he? Yeah. Oh, and also, I guess this is when we see Tully for the first time, isn't it? Yes, it is, lurking about. And you don't know who he is at that point in time, but uh, he clearly has more insight into George than anyone else in the wood. Because he comes up and says something to yeah, him. Yeah, actually, I think he just tells him to calm down or something, doesn't he? And uh, yeah, because he says something to him, and you think he's just a creepy old peeper, you know, a peeping Tom or yeah, something. Yeah. Well, he does look like a bit, doesn't he? I mean, he does look... <laughs> he does look a bit of a dodgy bloke. I mean, he's wandering around by himself in the woods at night, which I guess, in fairness, <laughs> George is as well. <laughs> but, um, you know, he's not with anyone, so... And all everyone else that's there are couples, so you think, well, what the hell is he doing? No kidding. But then I guess you got George back in the car, and they scoot back to the house, and Mitchell rescues his TV, uh, and George changes. And I never get why it is that Annie watches... I mean, I get the, the morbid curiosity of why Annie watches, but... It just seems out of character for Annie. Annie has, well, she kind of has a mother quality about her, and she wants to be there for, you know, wants to be there for George. Mitchell's clearly, you know, I'm out of here, see you later, I'll be outside. And Annie's, no, no, I'll stay, I, I might be able to help him. And then yeah. George and fairness, lets her know, I Annie's, don't need any yeah. help. I mean, Annie's the only person that is essentially protected, isn't she? I mean, George can't do anything to Annie, whereas yeah. you know, George can do a lot of damage to Mitchell. You know. But uh, it just seems a bit out of character to me, because I mean, up until now, Annie has come across as being quite quiet and quite shy to some extent, and the fact that she chooses to watch him go through that just surprised me a bit. I mean, I guess she doesn't... I mean, she is pretty appalled by it. I mean, the slightly dodgy were werewolf effect 
which they do improve the werewolf effects as the show goes on and I've also heard that in season 2 they've done a lot to improve how George looks as a werewolf but when you see him as a werewolf for the first time I actually think in a way he's funnier than scarier but Annie's obviously scared I mean she <laughs> she vanishes off outside doesn't she and waits for Mitchell yeah right beside Mitchell <laughs> and how do none of the neighbours hear anything that's well I guess on? they turn the music up loud don't they you know. And no one complains. Well, <laughs> guess not. <laughs> My dogs bark loud outside and people complain. Uh, I guess, okay, what happens next? Well, I guess next morning you got saw George wake up to the fact that he has pretty much destroyed the entire house and there's like none of their stuff left. And then obviously Owen comes around and just as an aside, I love the fact that when Owen comes around there's a whole conversation where's the furniture. But Owen doesn't question once why is this great big claw marks in all the walls. And you see in the background, there's these great big grooves in the wall. Uh, he just doesn't even seem to mention that. He's more concerned. And he's not worried about it at all. No. Yeah, and, and I love the whole bit with um, Annie and George upstairs where George is chastising Annie for making a noise and telling him that uh, you know Owen would die of shock. And then there's that look at Annie's face of, hey, I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> and George is like, no, no, <laughs> don't get ideas. I mean, Owen seems really nice. I mean, your impression in episode one is that Owen's just a really nice, decent bloke who's been for a really crappy time. We know later on he's not, but he, you, you get the impression, first of all, that, yeah, Owen's really nice. What got me was he had a girlfriend yeah. already. And not only that, but it was. I didn't think he was so nice. Well, you don't know quite how long it's been, do you? I mean, he's had other people in the house before, the funeral's taken place. I mean, it could be that a year or so has passed. You, you, I guess you don't know. But the fact that it's the. Oh, that's still not long enough to move on. Well, oh, he's bad. He needs to be at least five years. Five <laughs> years tops. Well, you more in five years. I was more. I think I was more pop by the fact that if he'd met someone else and it was someone completely new, then okay, maybe. But the fact that he was going out with the one woman that Annie said was always sniffing around after him, just smacks of yep. him basically just taking the easy option, you know. Uh, you knew he was a cheater after yeah. that. But uh, Oh, yeah, I mean, we find out more about Owen later on, don't we? But, but yeah, again, George, Mr. Suave, sophisticated, calm under the pressure. You know, <laughs> the whole bit where he comes downstairs, it's like, what was the noise? Oh, it's a pigeon. Oh, what did you do with it? I killed it with a shoe. <laughs> <laughs> and the look on Owen's face, and the look on Mitchell's face, Mitchell's like, oh, my, you know, what the are you talking about? <laughs> And Mitchell even pulls him up and after Owen leaves, doesn't he? And he sort of has a go at George about, you know... Because it was George before. Yeah. <laughs> but it's the way that it was George before Owen arrived that was most concerned about them looking odd and strange. And it was George that literally just, you know, goes to pieces, doesn't he? So. Oh, he does. I love how George goes to pieces, how he panics. His voice gets all squeaky and he just gets all panicky. <laughs> yeah. You just want to go up and hug him and say, it's okay. <laughs> He's waiting for it to go pop, aren't you? It's like he just seemed like, yeah, he's waiting to like stamp his foot on the ground or something, you know. It's, uh, yeah, I know, it gets higher and higher. The more stressed he gets, the higher pitched. <laughs> I know, and Mitchell's just sitting there with this grin on his face looking at him going, is he going to blow a gasket? Is his head going to yeah. pop off? What's going to happen? <laughs> well, and I guess as well, I mean, there is an element of Mitchell's been hiding his, his tree for a bit longer, hasn't he? You know, yes. Mitchell's got a fair fair few years more experience on on George. <laughs> so I'm trying to think where do we go? Okay. So then I think he goes back to the hospital, doesn't it? And you get Herrick turns up for the first time. 
I just thought, I mean, one of the things I was going to say, I mean, what I really find amazing about this first episode is just how much is packed into it. I mean, if, if you look at other TV shows, you'd have had, you know, episode one would have been, I don't know, all about Mitchell. And episode two would have been about George. And episode three would have been about Annie. And then episode four, we'd start getting some story development. And there's just so much. I mean, we're, we're a fraction away through the episode. And already we've got a handle on who the characters are. We've got the big bad now showing up in Herrick and stuff. There's just so much packed into that, that first, you know, mm-hmm. first hour of, uh, of TV. That's what grabbed yeah. me that's what grabbed me too. Was yeah, it's literally like you think I've watched half a series in the first episode. So, um, and, and Herrick really puts Mitchell on the spot. I mean, he knows Mitchell. I mean, he knows Mitchell's past. He knows what Mitchell's done, and he he seriously uh, puts Mitchell on you know, on the spot and, and you know basically brings up a whole load of home truths about Mitchell's past and uh, you know, and not a very nice past it is as well. You know? And you can see the look on you know on Mitchell's face. As he's, um, as he's trying to, um, you know, he's trying to be all good and virtuous and stuff, and then Herrick's reminding him of all the things he's done. You know, he's trying to run away from, I guess. Well, that henchman also glorified him and said, you know, was glorifying Mitchell at the very beginning. You know, we've known what you've done. Uh, are you? Yeah. He thought he was there getting a meal too. Didn't know he worked there. No, I mean, it, I think there's a whole. There's this whole bit with Mitchell, and and then uh, there's a lot of morality questions that you've got. The whole bit where Herrick brings up that you know about the children's ward. Yeah, you know, what parent wouldn't seriously want their child to be turned mm-hmm. if it meant that they lived, well, yes, or unlived, or whatever the appropriate expression is. You know, and and that's you know I, I guess we come back to that later on in the, in the um in the series, but you know it, it's a real there's a real morality question that it starts up being very black and white that you know vampires are bad and Mitchell's good for not wanting to um you know, stay off the wag you know stay on the wagon, but then you have to ask yourself you know is there any value to what they're saying? You, he's right you know I I. I find it very hard to believe that there's a single parent, there's a, you know, parents in that children's ward whose children are dying, would take any option that they get presented with, even probably about fully understanding the implications of what they're choosing. And that's the thing is that the whole show rages from these moments of light-hearted comedy with the whole pigeon <laughs> shoe bit, and then and then goes straight into basically Herrick laying down this fairly heavy morality question on on Mitchell. Because clearly Mitchell has turned people in the past. I mean, he turned Lauren when he felt guilty about you know, feeding on Lauren. So it's not as if I mean, there's a fairly high level of hypocrisy on Mitchell's behalf. And then, of course, he uh, he hits Mitchell the whole, you know, you've got a fallback line up, haven't you? You've got someone to fall back on when you fall off the wagon. And we all know that he's talking about Becca. Yeah. And then, obviously, off goes Herrick. I mean, uh, oh, <laughs> and then straight after that, obviously, you've got that, all that depression and all that angst and it goes straight into the bit with again Becca and um, Mitchell Becca and Mitchell and uh, and George at the linen cover you know the whole bit where um, George obviously with his werewolf senses enhanced spots the fact that Becca's changed her shampoo and that she now smells minty. Oh yeah. Yeah. And you just it's like a rail it's like a rail you know rail crash in slow motion isn't it. <laughs> he's building up to it. You can tell he's got a crush on yeah. it, though, big time. I mean, he's crushing big oh, time. Oh, God. And he just, he can't handle it, can he? And he comes out, he says, oh, yeah, you smell like a polo. You know, do you have a hole? 
<laughs> and there's that pause you think oh lord just someone bury him now you know and Mitchell just stood there looking at him with complete amazement of like how could anyone be so inept at talking to women and he says as much doesn't he when, when Becca leaves and he's like winding Georgia about you've got a crush on her do you want me to go talk to her because hey you know I can talk to women <laughs> you clearly can't well that's what Mitchell does Mitchell is a suave he can talk to people he can talk to anybody that's Mitchell. George is more of the geeky, can't talk. Is that a girl? Oh my gosh, it has boobs. It's a girl, and he freaks out. Yeah. So, do you know what a polo is? Is that like a UK thing, or is that? Uh, do you have polos in America? Polo over here is a water sport. You play. Um, well, you also okay. play it on horses. And polo is a cologne, and it's a shirt. Okay. Well, in the UK, it's also a mint. It's a, a mint that comes in a green packet, and it's a circular mint. The advertising campaign in, in the past always was that, that, that basically if you look at it, it's it's a circular mint, but the middle bit's punched out, so there's a hole in the middle of the mint. It's like a loop with a hole in the centre of it. When I was a, um, a, a child growing up, there was an ad that used to run on the TV where they showed this like mint factory where they'd punch out the circular mints. From, they'd have like a, a disc of mint and they'd punch out the middle bit and then throw that bit away. So the round circular mint was a bit they got rid of and they kept the other bit it's a mint uh, huh? yes that's what oh, polo is no. so basically it's a mint with a hole in the middle of it <laughs> hence uh hence george's coat yeah so hence george's comment of you know, you smell like a you know you smell minty <laughs> are, are you a polo do you have a hole which yeah I mean, so it's quite innocuous what he's saying because he's talking about the mint hey hey are you like a polo aren't you but he hasn't his brain isn't engaged with his mouth clearly yeah. <laughs> We call those lifesavers. And see, coming from the American side of it, whenever he said that, I just thought, okay, that means something. I'm really not sure what it means, but look at Mitchell's face, Mitchell's expression. So that was really something stupid he said. That's what I had to go on. It's almost like a whole new language is being spoken and you're learning it. Yeah. You know, just like you and I were talking about the word dadgummit. I'm going to try and, I'm I'm just trying to find you a link to a picture of a polament. Um, do you want talk talk about talk about something being human? <laughs> I know, right? I mean, was it? Uh, oh, okay. I guess the next bit is um, I think is isn't that when Annie has stolen George's phone? Yes, and she calls Owen, and uh, to obviously get uh, about a leaky faucet. Well, that'd be a tap, wouldn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Y'all call it a tap. We call it a faucet. But she stole yeah. his phone to call Owen. Well, I guess so that Owen would think it was from George. And Owen heard her. Well, no, no, she didn't call him. She sent him a text, didn't she? Because she saw her typing in the text message. Oh, okay, okay. Saying, you know, hey, you know, plumbing's done in and stuff. Uh, and then obviously Owen turns up and there's no one, you know, there's no one around. But, oh, we're getting ahead of ourselves. I think before Owen arrives, isn't that Lauren's funeral then? Where Lauren goes after George and uh, she's getting, she's trying to be all scary and vampire and George is just like completely blase. It's actually, it's one of the best bits of like, you know, for George and all of his general nervousness and everything else, for once he's dealing with something that he's fairly comfortable with. He knows what vampires are, he knows what they're capable of, you know, he knows what Mitchell is. Yeah, okay, Lauren's scary, but she's not unexpected, you know, and it completely takes off guard. Yeah, but he's funny with it because he just kind of looks at her and goes, oh. Uh-huh. And she's like, you smell different. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like the whole, like, that, that um, you know, she stinks. You know, well, he stinks to her, doesn't he? Because, like, he smells a dog. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, which, uh, I guess it's quite, because if you've read any of the Twilight novels, it's the same thing in Twilight, isn't it? That the vampires and, you know, uh, the werewolves 
you know, can't stand being around each other. And they can both smell that on Bella, can't they? But anyway, I'm going, I'm going off topic. <laughs> but yeah, there is this whole thing in the mythos around, you know, vampires and uh, werewolves, you know, not generally liking the smell of each other. And uh, which I thought was quite interesting the way they brought that in there. So uh, I've just emailed you a picture of a pilot. That's a lifesaver. Is that, a life, is that what they're called? Yeah, we call them lifesavers over here. Oh, that wow. is so cool. You are so going to have to send me one of those. It says it says polo on it. Yeah, it does. It prints it on there. Yeah, it says, oh, that is too rock and So have you got a lifesaver printed on yours? Yes, I'll send you one of those. Oh, my gosh, that is too cool. Polo, fairly obscure, I know. I mean, it's actually a sport on horses. How on earth it ends up being a mint with a hole, I don't know. But, okay, how does a holy mint save your life? I know we're completely off topic now, but I just don't get... So, I don't what? know. Because of bad breath. Oh, okay, I get it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Fair enough. But now there's flavors of them. Oh, yeah, yeah, we get fruit ones as well. You get, we've had, yeah. had those since I was... We've had those for years. <laughs> 20, God, how many of them? Since I was a kid, oh. long time, I had fruit polos. And also you get, you get the normal original polos, which are green, and you get spearmint ones in like a turquoisey packet. And they taste Dude, like toothpaste. Dude, you're so getting so many lifesavers for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, um, you know, if I hopefully get myself out to Dragon Con next year, I have to like stack my suitcase with polo mints. <laughs> <laughs> they'll, they'll give the dogs at the airport seat to sniff out, won't it? It's like, sir, why is your case smelling very minty? Why are you trying to hide the smell of nothing, sir? Watch out, you'll turn into George. <laughs> oh, sorry, I just completely got off topic of that. That, rem- that reminds me, I was flying out from somewhere once on business many years ago. The sniffer dog in the airport was the same breed of dog that we've got. So I, I, I'm, like, wandering through in a complete daze, spot this really cute dog. And I think, oh, is that sweet, that dog? So I'm, like, looking at the dog, smiling at the dog and stuff, yeah. Obviously... <laughs> Oh, they got this very heavily armed police officer wondering what this nut is doing, staring at his sniffer dog. Oh no! So it's generally advisable in airports to keep your head down, isn't it, and not do anything. Yes, dumb. that it's, can entice a lot of questions. Yeah, I, I just walked away. I'm not going to get embroiled in a conversation explaining the fact that I like his dog because that's just going. <laughs> it's not going anywhere good, is it? You know. I made my mistake once of I came coming back into the UK with some American colleagues and I was taking the mick about the fact that they had to go for immigration and I didn't and the immigration <laughs> officer thought I was being cruel so he made me get in line and uh, <laughs> so I had to go through I'm the only person I know I mean it's on my old passport but on my old passport I've got a stamp and my old passport to permit me entry into the UK so the only person I know that's got a UK password with a UK immigration stamp in it because they insisted oh, on making me go through immigration to teach me a lesson about not being rude to foreigners visiting our country <laughs> are you kidding <laughs> the, me? Um, no 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 my colleagues thought it was hilarious <laughs> seriously you keep your head down anyway I'm, I'm way off topic now, aren't I? <laughs> um, so, um, when you come to Dragon Con, you're going to have to show me that. Well, that's my old password. I have to try and scan it in or something. So, yeah, thankfully, oh, I haven't funny. got that one anymore. It used to beg too many questions. <laughs> so, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> where was I? I've completely lost track of water. We're talking about being human, aren't we? Anyway, um, so you got a whole Lauren funeral bit, you know, and then George obviously challenges Mitchell, and Mitchell points out to him the fact that, you know, George is a werewolf once a month. Mitchell's a vampire 24-7 and George has no concept what it's like for Mitchell and he doesn't appreciate that he doesn't understand what it's like for him even though I think we'll get to it at the end I think he works it out by the end what it's like for him because he pretty much says the same words back to Annie at the end yeah I, I just love the fact that Mitchell 
basically lays that down to George about how he doesn't get any time off from being a vampire, and George is really dismissive of it. And that's pretty much exactly what George says to Andy right at the end, um, which shows... And, and we'll talk a bit more about that when we get into what happened to Becca, but um, I, think it's, I think George actually goes on a fairly seismic sort of journey around his appreciation of what Mitchell's going through in this episode. Oh, OK, and then straight after that, you've got Annie in front of the mirror. You know, Annie preparing for Owen's visit, and when she's like doing the whole da da, and like the pans in the air, and the different faces, and the woo ghost noises, and <laughs> it's just great, you know. And then she's all ready for Owen to show up, and what happens? He walks in with Janie, and, and he can't see her. You know, he can't, you know, see Annie. And yeah. And what's interesting about this is watching it through, you know, having seen the whole series, if you notice, Owen was pushing Janie to stay in the car. He doesn't really want Janie to come in, and she's like, "No, no, no, no!" You know, it's like an eclipse seeing you do DIY. And it's and it's only later on you realise why it is he wants to be doing that plumbing with no one seeing what he's doing, and and fact that he's trying to find a time when George and Mitchell aren't in, so as not to disturb them. I mean, it all sounds really innocuous and just only being a decent bloke. And it's only when you know later on what the truth of why he wants to be alone in the house exactly. that you start to appreciate the whole significance of that conversation. I like that. Yeah, you don't see it at first. You you do think that he's just being considerate and kind, and yeah, you don't understand it. And a, a, a nice landlord that doesn't want to bother his tenants, you know. And obviously Annie's devastated because you know she still thinks the sun shines out of Owen's ass, doesn't she? <laughs> you know? Oh yeah. And uh, and she's really sad, and you know, and also she's gone backwards and stuff. And then there's this really touching bit with George and Annie when they're uh, talking, and George reveals about how he had an ex. And, you know, it was his girlfriend that he was away on holiday with when he got turned into a, into um, a werewolf. Which, aside from the fact that you'd love to see what George's girlfriend was like, you know. Oh, I know, but they never show it. No, I mean maybe that's on one of those little clip things. So uh, we'll have to we'll have to find out about that later on. But in terms of this point in time, you don't see George's girlfriend, you, well, his fiance to some extent, wasn't it? Or was his ex? Oh, no, it's just his ex, isn't it? No, fiance. Was, he called her. Did fiance, he? Okay, though. I was right. Then, so uh, I thought he did. Yeah, uh, someone he was having a serious relationship with, and you just can't imagine George in a serious relationship. The woman's you know, the most unable to talk to women, so. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, and I think it was it's really nice the way that him and, and Annie just bond on the floor there and about how they how they both have survived their ordeal. And, and I guess their, I guess the way I see it, their change is more similar to Mitchell's. You know, you get the impression there was some choice involved on Mitchell's side. I mean, probably not much of a choice, but the whole bit of Herrick earlier on saying about the fact that, yeah, how brave you, you chose to uh, live forever while all your friends you grew old and died in hospitals, you know. So you wonder how much choice did, you know, about his survival did Mitchell get. Whereas, obviously, Annie and George, it was done to them, and they had no warning or no choice or no say. I thought at first it was just he stumbled across these vampires and stuff, but then why did they turn him and only him? You know, why did they, you know, kill the rest and turn Mitchell? And maybe that's one of the things that will come out, you know, in one of these of it. Oh, they explain that later, remember? Do they? Yeah, remember they said that they're looking for only certain kinds of people with certain characteristics and turning them. Yeah, well they are now, but Oh, they weren't then? Yeah, well, maybe Herrick was doing that even then. Well, it's a new thing, isn't it? That Because he makes the comment about, you know, um, 
Herrick's sick and tired of us always converting drunks and winos on park benches, you know, because they're soft targets, aren't they? He wants to start being more rational about who they go after. I always thought they turned Mitchell because they thought he was strong for some reason. Well, yeah, because he was a tough soldier, and they wanted a soldier. So I don't know. I mean, there's there's questions around Mitchell, I guess. Hopefully we'll find out. I know, that'd be interesting if you know for listeners to tell us their yeah. opinion of you know why they think Herrick turned Mitchell was it because they thought he was strong or if hell he was there so why not yeah. I mean, but you know what I mean it, it's it's grey whereas Annie and George is fairly black and white if something was done to them Annie yeah. was killed George was mauled you know it, they, it, it just happened and they're now surviving the results of that so yeah and then uh, obviously you, you get the whole bit of Rebecca and Mitchell out on their date and Mitchell's seriously struggling now. You can see him sat there, and he's really trying his best to keep a grip on himself. And he's slipping. I mean, I, watching it again today, you know, I really did wonder that if Lauren hadn't shown up, I mean, Lauren was, you assume, sent by Herrick to try and uh, drag back, you know, drag Mitchell back into the clan, so to speak. Yeah. And you wonder if she hadn't shown up because I think if she hadn't shown up Mitchell was pretty much on the edge I mean George was running there for a reason because George expected Mitchell to slip basically you know kill Becca you could see him sat there he's got these like the shakes you know he's the whole bit like where she asked him to go back to back to her place and stuff you can see that he's right on the edge of just giving in because Eve makes the comment before about you know I think he makes the comment earlier on around um, he might as well just give in to you know his true nature or someone makes that comment and then what happens is Lauren turns up and yet the whole Lauren speech in the alleyway where Lauren's going on about how she wants to kill her parents and kill yeah. her friends and kill everyone she's known and just you know she wants blood dripping down her face and stuff he, look, Mitchell's just disgusted mm-hmm. by this because it's like a mirror to how he was he wants to forget that yeah and he's trying to move on from that and and yeah he let and lauren's saying look you let me down you turned me and left me and you know you need to be there for me and all this sort of stuff you know because you need to tell me how to kill, get off and kill people and stuff i guess what really gets me about that is i think right up until the point that lauren showed i think you know mitchell would have taken becca home he'd have fed on her and possibly even changed her and he'd have been back in he'd have given up then and he'd be back with the vampires but because the fact that Lauren showed up and laid it out on a plate for him to see exactly what he was going back to that repulsed him yeah he comes back into the restaurant and tells Becca like you know date's over we need you know you need to go home and stuff and then she tragically obviously heads off to the bathroom where I, you never see exactly what happened but clearly Lauren was waiting for her and then George arrives to find, you know, well, George, you don't see, um, you see Lauren in the alley, and you don't know what's happened to Becca yet, do you? And uh, and Lauren attacks George, and you think, okay, you know, is this, you know, give the end for George, or, you know, what's going to happen to George? Um, and then she throws him on the ground, as he hits the ground, you see Becca lying there, you know, uh, in a bad way, you know, blood pouring out of her neck. So, I mean, was it the comment Lauren makes to Mitchell, but she's like, you know, two pints away? And, and George is pleading, isn't it? I mean, George is absolutely pleading with Mitchell to to save her, to do anything he can to save her, which I guess in part is because of George's feelings for her, for Becca. Yeah. Um, and it's just George's general humanity that he doesn't want to see anyone die. I think he... But Mitchell just refuses. Yeah. He said he can't do that to anybody else. Yeah, and George doesn't get that. He really doesn't get why it is that Mitchell's walking away. And Lauren doesn't get it either. And I think it is Lauren's conversation earlier that gives you know, Mitchell the resolve to say no, because he doesn't want another Lauren. He doesn't want to turn you know, Becca, who's a nice, sweet girl, into you know, this bloodlust killer. 
And George doesn't get that. I mean, he really doesn't get it. And I didn't see it coming. I mean, I first time I watched it through, I was really surprised that Becca dies. I mean, it's all part of this roller coaster the first episode that not only have you laid out who's who and stuff, but then you kill off someone that you expect is going to be a a fairly significant character. You know, that's it. She's just dead, gone, and you don't really, you know, that's it. Don't see much from her again. Well, it really surprised me because I, I thought whenever they had her die, I thought she was going to be a long-term character, and that's what I liked about this about the show. I thought this gave me a prelude to you don't know what to expect. Yeah. It's that you can't take yeah. anything for granted. It's, it's part of the thing that you know you and I are both Joss Whedon things, and one of the things that's great about Joss Whedon is that you never know for a minute. I mean, no one's safe. I mean, Joss will happily yeah, yeah. kill off the main character if he needs to. Okay, sometimes you'll bring them back from the dead, but you know, he will happily. But he will still kill yeah. them. And uh, and that that's the thing is that they've laid their cards out right at the start of the show to say, hey, look, none of these guys are safe. Yeah, and that I guess later on, as we get to what happens to Mitchell later on in the series, is important because it adds that degree of risk and realism. You know, when things happen, so. You then get the whole bit in the hospital where George is panicking about you know, how you know this is how it ends, and uh, you know they'll trace Lauren to you and Becca and everything else, and and Mitchell's like, hey, you know, we've been around thousands of years, um, you know, we'll cover it up, and I think that shocks George as well, as I don't think George fully appreciated up until that point just the scale of the the vampire influence in society. You know, I think George perceived them as being fairly dark in the shadows and didn't realise how mainstream and how powerful uh-uh. they are in day-to-day life. Yeah, and then Herrick obviously lays out to uh, Mitchell that uh, you know this is how it all starts, and Mitchell chooses you know humanity over you know uh, over the vampires. And I guess that's the theme of the show. It's all about being human, isn't it? And it's Mitchell's decision that he's going to try and uh, uh, and be human. Okay, and then it ends with Mitchell obviously just you know crying to himself in the uh, um, in the lounge because at the end of the day, Becca's death is Mitchell's fault. If Mitchell hadn't killed Lauren, Lauren wouldn't have been there to kill Becca. I mean, there's a fairly clear cause and effect. And had he been strong enough to turn her, she would still yeah. be alive. And yeah, so he's wrapped with guilt over the fact he didn't turn her. He's wrapped with guilt over the fact that it was Lauren that killed her. You know, even though as I said, I still think that if he hadn't turned Lauren, if he'd just gone off to the bar of Becca, he'd have probably killed Becca. You know, uh, Lauren actually, in a way, saved and killed Becca all in one go. <laughs> oh, good way to look at it. Yeah. But true. Um, and then you've got uh, you know George talking and explaining to Annie about how the vampires are predators and about how he never appreciates you know the fact that you know he's there 24/7. You know, we never understand how much strength it takes Mitchell to fight. You know, fight his inner demons and uh, uh, resist you know, his lust for blood. And as I said earlier, I think that's a real turnaround because that's George accepting what his friend has to go through on a daily basis. Yeah, kind of acknowledging yeah. it and being comfortable with it and being there to support him. And, you know, and Annie asked the question about, you know, but why didn't he save her? You know, and George obviously goes, well, I think he did. You know, and that really brings home to me the fact that, you know, despite what George was saying in the alley, now is the time to think it through. And now is the time to look at, you know, the reality of the situation. He he gets the fact that, you know, Mitchell at the end of the day did what he needed to do to save Becca. You know, and even if that meant letting her die, it still saved Becca. 
And then I guess you wrap up with uh, Annie stating the fact she doesn't want to leave the house, which gives you an idea of how um, insecure Annie now is, especially because of the whole Owen stuff earlier. And then you've got Tully outside again, so you've got that weird bloke um, from, the, uh, from the park watching through the window. The peepin' Tom. Yeah, I, I'm a, I was thinking all kinds of things about what the hell he was. So, Jeff, I mean, we'll talk about this next time, but, you know, um, well, when we cover episode two, but um, it was a real shock when it turns out he was a werewolf. <laughs> you know, I had a I whole know. list of other more dubious things in mind for him. And see, I thought he was just going to be somebody that was going to blow their cover. Mm, yeah. It was just some perv or some, you know, whatever that, uh, you know, was spying on them for whatever reason. And, yeah, I mean... So that was a that was a surprise, but hey, we'll we'll talk about that when we we talk about that. So, um, so I think that's that pretty much covers the first episode. I mean, I'm trying to think if we missed anything. I think we've uh, not so much. Okay. Well, I, I guess that's that's what we're aiming to do. We're going to try and get together once a month and uh, go for episodes and go for the online content if we can uh, in this way. Hopefully, with less Skype issues. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. Yes, with less Skype yeah, issues. Because less Skype issues means less editing for us. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, but uh, yeah, so th- that's the idea. I mean, we'll hopefully get this out soon, and then we'll aim to get the next show out about a month after that. See how it goes. I mean, if we can speed up the frequency, I guess we will do it at some point. But uh, I, I think we'd rather start being consistent for you all, and uh, you, you knowing when the show is coming out rather than it being all over the place. Uh, and we'd love some comments and feedback. I mean, that would be phenomenal. I mean, the, there's the email address, feedback at beinghumancast.com, uh, or you can leave comments um, on the posting on the website, or even on, you know, if you feel like it, go onto iTunes and leave some comments and feedback on iTunes. I mean, it's all good, because at the end of the day, this is the first proper episode, and we're still figuring this out. You know, we're still trying to figure out how we're going to do this and how we're going to shape the show. So, you know, if you feel the same that we're not covered, if you think we've missed the whole point of the episode, whatever, then let us know. Um, and we could talk about that next time. And we can even read the comments online, you know, read yeah. them on here. Yeah, no, that'd be great. So um, at the end of the day, if you at least better or worse, even if the comments telling us that, well, <laughs> this, even if there's negative comments coming in, then I'd rather have that and have some feedback from uh, from you guys giving us a view on how we can improve the show. We've got the rest of you know being human to go through. We've got season two coming up next year sometime. I'm not too sure when it goes out in the US. No, it's uh, first quarter in the UK. Then it'll probably come out on the BBC America because that's where I watch it, BBC America. Well, I've got the DVDs, mm-hmm. but from season one. But season two, uh, BBC America. And it should be coming out two months after it comes out over there. Okay, so it should be the first half of next year. So, so we've got that, and if we can find a way of both looking at the web content, we'll try and talk about that some more as well. And in terms of viewing the, the show, if you're in the US, I believe you told me earlier that it's available from Blockbuster, and, and also you can get the show from Amazon.co.uk and get imports into the, into the US, but... Obviously, that'd be region two, and it's only twenty-five dollars. So cheap. Yes, for a season, for a season on DVD, for a full season, that is cheap, because I've paid yep. more for Torchwood and Doctor Who. Yeah, I mean, I'm whether or not season two when that eventually comes out will cost more, as hopefully the popularity goes up. We don't know. That's a ways off yet. But it yeah. would be so worth yep. it. So I think we're done. So I guess we wrap up by uh, thanking you all for listening. 
and uh, hopefully you'll join us again next month. And Andy, I look forward to talking with you about episode two next month. Yep, episode two. <laughs> Take care. Bye. Yeah, bye all. Being Human Cast is a non-profit podcast. Being Human is owned by the BBC and Touch Paper. No copyright infringement is intended. Music used is from Podsafe Audio. You can contact us at feedback at beinghumancast.com or via our website www.beinghumancast.com.